Sonia created the Love the Word Bible Study Method just for you, based on Mary's personal practice and formulated for your personality and temperament. Get your Love the Word meditations every Monday morning by signing up at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Now, here's Sonia. If you like having Bible study in your pocket and you have an iPhone or iPad, why not leave a review? Search Bible Study Evangelista in iTunes and tell everyone how you're loving and lifting all you've been given. Here's Sonia. Good morning and welcome to the Sacred Healing 1230 podcast. It's very early morning here. It's still dark. It's dark outside, dark in the house. And so it's private. And we are in our sixth episode of the Little Way series where we're talking about the healing of the inner child. In this portion of the series, we've been looking at Matthew 18 and Jesus's instructions on erecting good boundaries. Because in order for the inner child to heal, he or she needs good boundaries. Contrary to what many of us were taught in church about charity, where we just have to be nice. We have to be nice to everybody, no matter what they do or what they say. And that's not what Jesus teaches. And so we're looking at Matthew 18 for that that reason, because we need to know what authentic love is. And we can't know what authentic love is whether receiving it from God or others or giving it ourselves if we don't learn how to erect good boundaries. Boundaries protect what is good and they keep out what is bad and they're porous so that they're not walls that nothing can get in and out, but they're boundaries. So they're porous. They are flexible and movable depending on the circumstance and the person and the situation. And so we're looking at Matthew 18. We've gotten through the first part of radical detachment from whatever or whomever causes sin in the little one. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. And that's pretty darn radical. (laughs) And he talks about if your foot causes you to sin, to cut it off. And so the fathers are pretty clear that this includes and even specifies the people that are closest to us. And those are usually our family members. And and there is a distinction. Again, I want to reiterate and repeat that the there is a distinction here that Jesus makes between the children of God. These are children of God. These are Christian people, people who are not Catholics or Christians in name only, but they are true Jesus followers. These are the guidelines for Jesus followers. So if someone or something causes you to sin and not a one-time thing, right? It We have to have discernment through the Holy Spirit. But if someone or something causes you to sin on a regular basis, every time you're exposed to it or that person, then you need to cut it off. Radical detachment. And then today we're going to look at the parable of the lost sheep and probably dealing with a, a sinning brother. If you'll look at the paragraph headings in that chapter, it'll give you sort of a, a good synopsis of what's happening 
in the teaching that Jesus is offering. And so the next part that he he teaches on is he says in verse 10 of chapter 18, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. For the son of man has come to save that which is lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one who's straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. For even so, it is not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And so he's speaking again about Jesus followers being children of God. And that is by virtue of our baptism and our confirmation. We are God's children. And so he's speaking about God's children, true Jesus followers. And after we have practiced this radical detachment from whomever or whatever causes us to sin, often we can start to see more clearly who those are that are lost. And we're talking about little ones both in ourselves, the inner child, and the inner child in the people around us who are Jesus followers. So if we see, particularly those people close to us, you know, we want to always look out and <laughs> and examine the spiritual lives of other people, and we should never do that because what, well, first of all, Jesus always says we need to be looking at the beam in our own eye before we're looking at the speck in the brother's eye. But in this parable of the lost sheep, what he's saying is that the the child is so important. And he has even said that if you don't become, if you're not converted, turn back. If you don't turn back and become like little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So the child is so important that if he or she wanders away, if she or he is lost, if that inner child is lost, and many of you tried that inner child exercise, the visualization, and your inner child is completely lost. And you can know that that's the case if in that visualization, you had a sense of not being able to see your inner child, or when you did, it was you got a sense of disgust or fear or loneliness, anything like that. But also, if you experience feelings of shame or guilt and pain, if you chronically overwork or need to achieve in order to get approval or to feel like you belong, if you have an inability to be present in the moment, if you experience regular anxiety and fear, or if you're too rigid, if you try to be perfect and you can't handle failure, if you have difficulty noticing and celebrating the wins in your life because you're constantly achieving, no win is ever going to be good enough. If you have unhealthy relationship patterns or you're avoiding relationships and love, if you regularly... Um, find yourself in patterns of self-sabotage or obsessive and addictive behaviors, if you underachieve, if you just can't get motivated, if you find yourself in constant negative rumination and self-talk, then those are all indications that your inner child is lost. And so in this parable of the lost sheep, Jesus says, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, whether in yourself or 
or in the neighbor. Do not despise. That word there is pretty specific. It means to think against. They're not contemptible. The inner child in you and the inner child in your neighbor is not contemptible. They also have an angel. They have an angel that is constantly in God's presence to plead vindication of their wrongs or their neglect. And so Augustine says, we don't overlook their faults, but we're not blaming or condemning or despising or thinking against the inner child, either in ourselves or in the other person. The inner child needs to be rescued like a lost sheep. So if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? If you think about a lost child, like a literal lost child, the whole community rallies around the attempt to find a lost child. Why? Because the child is is vulnerable. If you look at children, they're they're innocent. They don't cherish anger. They're not unforgiving. They're not two-faced. They don't gossip. They love unconditionally and they're full of potential. And so Jesus tells us that we must go and rescue that lost child. And this is something that we can never do for our neighbor if we haven't first done it for ourselves. We have to take the beam out of our own eye before we can see clearly the speck in the neighbor's eye. So we convert. That's why Jesus uses that word convert. Unless you are converted, unless you turn back and rescue that lost stray child. Now, sometimes the child is lost because he doesn't know where he is. Sometimes the child is lost because he has been so wounded and um, and hurt. He's run away. Whatever is happening, whatever has caused the lost child to be lost, we have to seek that child out and try to rescue him or her. We do that first for ourselves through our own healing, and then we can turn back or look around and see the inner child around us that needs rescuing as well. Now, we don't necessarily have to do that in order, but definitely we have to be working on rescuing our own inner child before we can be looking around and and thinking we're going to do the same for someone else's. But either way, if we have to, to correct a sinning brother or sister, a family member, and and you want to start at the closest vicinity around you. So you first, and then those who are in your sphere of influence. We're looking for the lost inner child in the other, and that is usually indicated by habits of sin, is it not? Habits of woundedness, sin that we commit, and sin that has been sinned against us. So when we can identify a lost brother or sister in Christ around us, sometimes they come to us. If you have the gift of encouragement, a lot of times you'll find that these lost children (laughs) in adults, they come to you for help. And so that is a way that we can sort of extend healing for the people around us.
You are listening to the Sacred Healing 1230 Podcast, because love heals. Aren't you tired of all the ugliness on social media? You need a faith community that nurtures you and helps you heal. Visit BibleStudyEvangelista.com and click Community on the menu, or scroll down to the radio notes and click the link to the Sacred Healing 1230 Community. You'll find monthly coaching calls for one-on-one consultation and masterclass participants, live healing prayer streams, a monthly Bible study, prayer intentions and intercessions, love the word takeaways from the daily readings, and poignant shares of our victories and struggles. We're waiting for you. Are you coming? Did you know you can get Bible Study Evangelista radio notes and podcasts delivered to your inbox every Monday morning? Redeem your Mondays. Join thousands of your fellow listeners by subscribing at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Now, here's Sonia. That first part of Matthew 18, Jesus is speaking to his followers, and he's he's reminding us that we need to have this childlike spirit. And then he goes in to care for the those vulnerable, the least sophisticated, the ones that are most easily hurt and scandalized. And then he goes into this sort of wayward zeal. He's talking about how how the inner child gets sort of left behind sometimes because they're you know children are excitable <laughs> but but also they are vulnerable and they aren't sophisticated in the ways that they cope with things that are overwhelming or traumatic or just um, strong emotion as children we we don't always know how to deal with the things that are happening around us and so we we develop coping mechanisms that end up being not so good and destructive. And we carry those coping mechanisms forward into adulthood. And at some point, hopefully, we start to see through the circumstances and the relationships around us, they get so painful and they they repeat to the point where we start to ask questions, I hope, and that's my prayer for you, is that you start to ask questions about why is this happening again? So those pop quizzes is what I call them because they they tend to feel like they come out of nowhere, but they're difficult situations and people that are repetitive and they start to get our attention and we start to see that we're acting, we're acting irrationally in very simple interactions that shouldn't be so irrational, but they are. And this is why I mentioned that term last week, um, the shadow, the shadow of the person. And I, I qualified that just a little bit. But Jung actually defines that for us. Carl Jung, he says, the shadow personifies everything that the subject refuses to acknowledge about himself and yet is always thrusting itself upon him directly or indirectly. For instance, inferior traits of character and other incompatible tendencies. So dark emotions, um, coping mechanisms that are no longer helpful, but particularly those parts of ourselves that we, we start to become aware of and we don't like them. 
And because they are incompatible with this picture that we have of ourselves and our how our families were, you know, but my family was so great. I had the perfect family, people say. And then, you know, after some uh, some digging and after some reflection, well, okay, there were things in my family that weren't so helpful, right? And so we see in ourselves that we have developed things that we don't like, coping mechanisms, sneakiness, um, deceit, uh, pleasing, perfectionism, attempts to overachieve without any celebration whatsoever. And we start to see those things in ourselves. And because they are incompatible with this picture that we want about our families or about ourselves as Christians and Catholics, we push that away from our consciousness and they are buried in our subconscious. And so that becomes what is the term shadow, a shadow part of ourselves. And that is a part of that inner child, usually, because those those sorts of things are developed in childhood most of the time. And so we want to turn back and seek to rescue that inner child in ourselves and in our neighbor. And so we the the first rule there, and it's a very strong warning do not despise one of these little ones or one of these lost sheep. Do not think of them as contemptible or with condemnation. Don't think against them because they are simply children. And so we're not going to overlook their faults, as Augustine says. We're going to pursue the stray. In John chapter 5, uh, verses 16 through 17, 1 John, I'm sorry, chapter 5, it talks about seeing a a brother or sister in Christ who is in sin and he says we should pray about when we see those those brothers or sisters that are have fallen in sin or those who have gone astray maybe that's ourselves right we need to be praying about that not necessarily doing anything yet if we are made aware of a brother or sister in Christ who has strayed in some way, we have a duty to try to rescue that child of God. And we have to see them as a child of God, not with condemnation, not with judgment. Oh my gosh, look at what they've done. We, we have to see them as a child and attempt to rescue them. How in the world do we do that when we're also wounded, right? So we have to sort of be working on both of our own inner child as we're attempting to navigate this sort of very sticky situation. I had someone in a consult once who came to me with, you know, a host of other issues, but one of them, and all of them, of course, were related to her core wound, and all of our issues are also related to our core wound. And part of what I do is help people find what that is because we have this going on here and this relationship and this going on at work and this going on in our extended family and this going on at church and all these things, they seem unrelated, but they're not. They're always related to our core wound. And and part of my job is to help people find what that is. But I had a, a woman come to me with other issues, but one of them was she worked at a, a, a parish, and the pastor there was a former Anglican pastor with a family. And his administrator, his parish administrator, was also married, 
and they had a very tight relationship because his gifts were more in um, visionary type things. He was a, a visionary and he was he was a great leader in that way, but he wasn't very task oriented and he wasn't very organized and he wasn't very gifted in administration. So his parish administrator was super gifted in that and they worked as a very close team. But this person who had come to me in consultation, she was very disturbed by the closeness of this relationship because they they both had they were both married they both had kids and they went on vacations together and they spent two and three hours at these lunches and it just bothered her so much and she felt very ill-equipped to say anything about it and yet she was really one of the only people who was in close proximity to both of these people all of the time because of her position at that parish. Now, this is a church, so clearly these are Christ followers. They're not Christians in name only. They are truly Christ followers, and they, they in her perception, they had gone astray. <laughs> and I have to say that I was in agreement with her. And she was trying to discern, what do I do and how do I do it? And so we looked at these principles. We can't condemn either of them for what they're doing. We can't look at them and think against them because they also have angels that plead their cases before God. So we have to be very careful how we approach them, both in our attempts to highlight this behavior and perhaps draw them back into a proper relationship with one another, with the parish, and with God. It was a sticky situation, I'm telling you. And she was so disturbed by it. And was there some pride mixed up? Yes, there probably was. There was, and, and there is for each of us, you know. I mean, we, we see something like this, and we, we get on our high horse, and it's, it's so much easier to look at the faults in other people than it is to look at our own, right? But what's curious about these sorts of situations is that they always have a direct application to ourselves, too. And that was an interesting piece of this sort of situation for this person, is that as she was seeing this sort of mess in the parish between the priest and the administrator, there was something similar going on in her own life. And so it was almost like the Holy Spirit was using this situation to teach her something about herself and her own situation. And so she was dealing with both of them at the same time. And that's exactly how God works. I have found in my own life that that when he's teaching me something, I'll be learning it on my own, but I'll also be learning it in a situation around me as well. And so this is another reason why consultations can be so helpful, because you can start to see the connections between what's happening around you in your relationships and circumstances and what God is is attempting to teach you personally and individually. And so we started to work on that. And, and that's where we sort of go to the next section that Jesus in his teaching when when he says moreover if your brother sins against you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone so the first principle here is when you see something happening pray first and then you go to that person directly don't go to the phone go to the throne Joyce Meyer used to say
You are listening to the Sacred Healing 1230 Podcast, because love heals. Losing it more often or lost yourself entirely? Binging on food, alcohol, or your phone? Feeling exhausted, anxious, angry, scared? You've done all the novenas, all the consecrations, adoration, daily mass, Bible study, therapy, and deliverance prayers. Why has none of it given you permanent relief? Does God not care? He does care. But you can't feel it because you need to be cherished. You need to be healed. In Sacred Healing 1230, I teach you how to live authentically from the holistic love of God and the power of Mark 1230. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. I teach you how to be cherished. I teach you how to guard your peace. I teach you how to love authentically. I teach you how to heal deeply. I teach you how to feel better. Because you can only love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength if they are healing and whole in Him. The love you were made for is only a mouse click away. Go to BibleStudyEvangelista.com to stop the emotional vomit and start experiencing the miracle of living authentically from the healing love of God in your heart, soul, mind, and body. So the first principle in trying to offer some sort of correction, in trying to rescue the, the, the child of God who has gone astray or gotten lost in a sin habit or in a sticky situation that can bring scandal to other children, other ch- children of God, is you go to that person directly. I, I can't stress enough that it is sinful to talk about a mess that you see in the church or with particular relationships or circumstances in a parish or in a family of of children of God, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, it is it's so wrong to gossip. It in fact it is it is a direct tool of the enemy. You are being used by the enemy to create division when you do that. So don't do it. Pray about it and and discern whether you need to say something. And if you do, if you need to seek counsel, of course you can do that. But but one person, not ten, and and don't gossip about the situation because it just aggravates it and makes it worse. It creates a scandal, and that is a terrible sin. That is where Jesus said, if if. Uh, whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him that a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of of the sea. So we have to be very, very careful how we go about doing this. It must be done. The church fathers and Jesus are very clear. It must be done. You have a duty. You have a duty to attempt to rescue a lost sheep. But we have to be very careful how we do it. And I, I want to reiterate something that St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, because he makes it pretty clear here. He says, I wrote to you in my epistle or my letter not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of the world or with the covetous or the extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. 
But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. He's talking about Christian brothers and sisters who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner or even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside the church? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. So Paul is making a distinction here. He's saying, don't worry at all about the people who are outside the church, who are not Christian brothers and sisters. They're going to do what they do. They don't have the same rules we have. They don't have the same worldview. They're going to live lives of sin. He's talking about Christian brothers and sisters who claim the name of Jesus, who claim to be Christ followers, who have fallen into such sins. And he says, put them away from you. Put them away. And that is, that's why they're lost. They're lost because they've been put away. And so after you have radically detached from that kind of person, at some point you need to turn back and attempt to rescue them. After you've had some time to reflect and to heal yourself and to discern with the Holy Spirit how this must be done, then you can attempt to rescue that person. And honestly, rescue is probably a dramatic word, and and I don't mean to be, be dramatic because what I'm learning myself in my own situation that I'm going through in this exact same teaching, remember, I told you that I'm always learning the thing myself in my own life that I'm teaching somebody else. And so I'm actually in this situation myself. And <clears throat> and I was taught as a, a non-Catholic that this was sort of a formal way of correcting, and I say that in air quotes, correcting a Christian brother or sister. And so to me, it always had this sort of formality to it and and solemnity. And it does. I don't mean that it's not a solemn duty, but it had this formality to it. And so when I approached discerning how to go about this myself, it took on this sort of formal feel to it, you know, and, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but he says here, if your brother sins against you, against you, right, or against the church, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And that's what this person did. She went directly to the pastor and she highlighted the disturbing behavior, the the very, very long lunches and the closed door meetings that went on forever and ever and the closeness, physical closeness that this parish administrator and the, the pastor shared and the family vacations and the barbecues where she happened to, I, I don't even know how this happened, but she she showed up at one of their homes and they had had a barbecue and they had been drinking and one of them was pretty scantily dressed and the other was they were both a little bit tipsy and the family was there you know so it probably was not the way it looked but it looked terrible you know and she was thinking and she even said I I don't know how their families tolerate this but she went to him directly And she spoke to him directly, and he received it very well. He received it in humility, which is the duty of one who is being corrected. So if you ever get yourself in such a situation, and you're corrected, your duty is humility. You better listen. 
you better listen because you're a child and you need some help. (laughs) And so we have a duty toward, if we are the person being corrected by a brother or sister, we have a duty to listen with humility. No fighting back, no retaliation, no revenge. We have a duty to listen. So we go and tell him his fault directly. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And so again, I had this idea that this was supposed to be some sort of formal thing, like a tribunal, you know. And so I'm I'm thinking, all right, who who do I know that is in a position of knowledge of the situation that also has a measure of authority that I can take with me as witnesses, as formal witnesses, right? And <laughs> and when I approached one of these people, I was advised that perhaps it would be better if you would send an email. And I said, well, I don't want to do that because I've already done it. And it, it had no effect whatsoever. The, the behavior has not changed. And this person said to me, Yes, but if you approach it one more time and you do it the way you did the first time and perhaps offer some encouragement to and a, a little more specific direction on how they can remedy the situation, perhaps it will go better. And I, behind the scenes, will also do my part. And I thought, hmm, all right. And so the other person that I had approached, right, so because I'm supposed to take two people one or two witnesses, the other person that I approached was too afraid to say anything, but she sent an email to the pastor about the situation rather than actually going directly to the person. So that was probably an error. However, she was at least willing to say something because it it was a pretty egregious offense and it needed to be addressed. And yet she was a little too afraid to say anything. And so she didn't. which was fine because my advice from the other person was send another email. I'll do my part behind the scenes. Well, at first I balked against that a little bit because it wasn't according to this, this method that Jesus puts forth. Right. But as I reflect a little more on reflected a little more on it, what I realized is, okay, yes. So one witness anyway, and not directly where we're together, but definitely at least there are two of us saying the same thing. And this person um, who was who was going to be a a witness also indicated that he would bring the subject up in a meeting with the pastor. And so I I recognized in that that discussion with this witness that we actually were following the instructions here that Jesus gives only less formally and less directly. And I could see the wisdom in it. And because of that, I was willing to sort of back off <laughs> from my, my zeal, you know, and and allow the Holy Spirit to treat the offender as a child as well, right? Because I had sort of been reined in in my own approach to the offender and instructed to be more gentle and more careful in the way that I approached him as well.
You are listening to the Sacred Healing 1230 Podcast, because love heals. If you love having Bible study in your pocket, you can become a friend of the show. Click on the yellow friend of the show button on BibleStudyEvangelista.com and become a supporter of any amount and any frequency. Now, here's Sonia. So in my situation, we were able to deal with the, quote, offending person in the parish exactly the way Jesus lays out for us in this passage, but sort of in a less formal way, which felt really good to me. And even now, looking back on it, I I can see the wisdom in that. And I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit was, he was reining me in a little bit and, and teaching me how to do this kind of thing in a way that is gentle for the childhood of the offender. But also for me, because, you know, I, I want to be treated gently, too, when someone's coming to me to correct me. And I've, I've had this happen many times, right? And I've had it happen many times that somebody just pops off and accuses me of something that, that I wasn't even guilty of because of a perception. And then I've had people correct me when I was actually guilty of something, but they did it harshly and they did it in public and they did it rudely. And all that does is serve to create more division. So we want to be careful to do what Jesus says here when we're doing it, right? In the situation with the consultee, she went directly to the pastor and nothing really changed. And so in discussion with other people, and and I'll be honest, she was guilty of gossip about it. And she even confessed that, you know, she was talking about it with me. And she said, "I, I keep falling into gossip. I keep talking about it because everybody sees it. Everybody sees it. And we don't know what to do about it. You know, and I kept pulling her back in that way where we have to go directly. And if that doesn't work, then Take a deacon or someone else, you know, who has a, a measure of authority who who he might listen to and go to him again. And that's what she did. And he did see the wisdom of changing that behavior. And he he actually did. This pastor did detach in a dramatic way from the parish administrator to the point that the the parish administrator actually changed jobs, if you can believe that. And so that is the other part of our job. When when we are trying to rescue the lost sheep, we need to be praying about the situation continually so that the correction can be fruitful, it can be gentle, it can be careful, and the other person can receive it well so that it works properly. And if the parties are truly Jesus followers, it will. And so Jesus continues in saying in verse 17, he says, if he refuses to hear the witnesses, tell it to the church. But if if he refuses to hear even the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. That's what Paul was saying. If a Jesus follower in the church does not hear the testimony of one and then two and then three And definitely, if he will not hear the testimony of the church, then put him away. 
he he has excommunicated himself, we could say. He goes on to say, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now, we use this often to... Um, in, in cases of prayer, you know, prayer requests or prayer intentions. If we agree on this, then we should pray about it and God will do something. And that's true. But the context here is in correcting a stray lost sheep. And so what we are assured of is that Jesus himself is involved in the situation. And so when we come together in agreement on a situation and we sort of rally to correct a straying lost sheep, and we do it properly, Jesus is mediating. He is mediating on our behalf, and he's mediating on the other person's behalf, because we're all children. We're all God's children, and we have to be gentle with one another, and we have to be careful. The fathers on these guidelines say this, because they are children, they must be won back as sweetly as may be. If there is no need for public reprimand, charity forbids it. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit was sort of nudging me in, is this this change in my view of some sort of formal correction to something a little more private, a little more gentle, a little less public. And The woman caught in adultery, you can see that is an example of how exactly not to do it. You don't drag the person out in public. And in fact, that was a huge sin in Judaism. To humiliate the other person is a grave sin in the Old Testament. You don't do that. You don't humiliate them. You don't drag them in front of other people. You don't gossip about them. You don't point at them. You don't humiliate them. And I have been in that situation, and I'm telling you, it is so destructive to to get on a high horse and and get sucked in with pride is such a mark of the enemy and to drag someone out in public or to to expose them publicly without first going through these these steps is a grave grave sin because it can scandalize the other person it can lose them entirely forever and then you will be guilty of the soul of that person in part because of your involvement in humiliating them in that way so don't do it saint john the damascene when he is commenting on the verse that God is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. He says that in God, we must distinguish two distinct wills, the one antecedent, the other consequent. A person wills a thing antecedently when he wills it merely as considered in itself. For instance, God will wills that all men are saved, but he wills something consequently when he allows something in a particular circumstance. Although God wills that all men are saved, because they are all his creatures and all his children made in his image and destined for the kingdom of glory, though it is equally certain that he wills the eternal punishment of many who have turned away from his service and followed iniquity. If we observe this distinction, it's easy to see what our Savior meant when he said that it was not the will of the Father that any of these little ones should perish. So the antecedent will is that all be saved. The consequent will is that if they continue in sin, that they be lost. (laughs) This precept 
uh, Jansenius, this precept, though positive, is only obligatory when it is likely to profit your brother, as charity is the only motive for observing it. And he's talking about the, the d- correction of a sinning brother or sister. Therefore, it not only may, but ought to be omitted when the contrary effect is likely to ensue, whether it be owing to the perversity of the sinner or the circumstances of the admonisher. So he recommends that we not even attempt this if we're not in the right frame of mind or if it's going to be worse for the person that we're trying to correct. Augustine in the City of God says, For often we wrongly neglect to teach and admonish or to rebuke and check the wicked, either because the task is hard or annoying or because we are afraid of their anger. But if anyone neglects reproof because he seeks a better occasion or fears to make the person worse or that doing so might be an impediment to others who are weaker or might hurt them or turn them away from the faith, then this is charitable. And even more important for leadership who might have the same fault, they still must not neglect to admonish and correct no matter what they might lose in this life. So even if we have the same fault, we still have a duty to correct a brother if we see or sister, if we see that they as a child of God have gone astray, have gotten lost, have fallen into a habit of sin. Chrysostom says, he says not accuse him or scold him or demand that he fix it, but simply tell him his fault. That is, remind him of his sin, highlight it, tell him what things you have suffered from him. Augustine says, evaluate. Do you correct your neighbor because his trespass has hurt you? No. If you do it from self-love, you do wrong. If you do it from love of neighbor, you do right. Lastly, in what you shall say to him, keep in view for those, keep in view for whose sake it is that you ought to do it, for your own or for his. For it follows, if he hears you, you have gained your brother. Therefore, do it for his sake in a way that you may gain him. Chrysostom says, in this it is made plain that enmities are a loss to both sides. For he said not he has gained himself, but you have gained him, which shows that both of you had suffered loss by your disagreement. So he's agreeing with Augustine. He's saying that you want to correct a brother or sister in a way that you gain them because it's a loss for both of you if you can't. So you want to really be careful how you start to to employ this method, right? The Catholic Encyclopedia says only in the last resort should the matter be brought to official notice for the sake of the individual and for the community. It it should be informal. That's my comment. And even then, witnesses are called as independent opinions, helping not to condemn, but to convince the sinner of his fault. So the first principle is whatever causes you personally to sin, you need to practice radical detachment. And then... If that person is a true Christ follower, you need to start thinking about how to rescue him or her from being lost and having strayed. And if you discern that it is appropriate to do so, then you go directly to that brother or sister and you tell them their fault and you do so with the guidelines that Jesus gives us in Matthew 18 for correcting a brother or sister. And the whole point is to win them as a friend. When I went to this particular person in my own parish, after I had offered this gentle correction by email twice, I made sure to approach 
this person at church and shake their hand and and try to be friends. And luckily, this person was receptive to that. And we actually, although I wouldn't say we're necessarily friends, we're on the road toward that. And I hope that maybe at some point we can definitely come to that friendship. Thank you for listening to this Sacred Healing 1230 podcast. Find out more at BibleStudyEvangelista.com because love heals.